Hi, I'm Ella Torrance. And I'm Molly Anders. And you're listening to Dig Deeper, a deep dive into the psychological explanations of social experiences, everyday struggles, and philosophical perspectives. So for this week's episode, we're going to be talking about personality, and specifically personality tests like the Myers-Briggs. Just on a side note, we're recording today's episode (laughs) in the snow (laughs) in Seattle, sitting outside, being COVID-19, and also freezing. Um, to start off our theories of personality, we are going to talk about Freud's theories, which is where all psychological stuff starts Going with Freud. The beginning. <laughs> exactly. Um, in Freud's theory of personalities, there are three levels of awareness. There is the consciousness, which is like your waking memory, and it's whatever a person is aware of at any given moment. So your thoughts on what you're doing right now. Then there's the pre-conscious, which is your long-term memory, which contains like all your memories and experiences that you're not consciously thinking about, but you still have in your brain. So like <laughs> things that affect your consciousness. Yes, yes, okay. yes. And then there's your unconsciousness, which is the motivating force of behavior that we're not aware of. And this can be seen in like repressed memories. Oh, that's very Freud. Yes. <laughs> yes. Have you ever heard of the term Freudian slip? No. Where people say if you forget someone's name or you call someone the wrong name, that things seem accidental, but they are actually unconsciously on purpose. So like when you call a teacher mom? Yes, yes. Ooh. Freud is arguing <laughs> that like that's on purpose and like that's called like a Freudian slip. A little side note. <laughs> Within your personality, Freud argues that there are three aspects. There's your id, your ego, and your superego. So the id is the only part of your personality that is present at birth, and it is entirely like unconscious. Um, so the id can be categorized as your life instincts, like all your biological urges to eat and drink and have sex. And then your death instincts are disruptive, impulsive stuff to, like, keep you safe. And, like, that's why people are aggressive. That's how, like, war is explained. So all of your life and death instincts are with you when you're born because they're a part of your id. Wait, how does your death instinct keep you safe? So, like, if you are in, like, a confrontation with someone, the weakest link will die, you know? Mm. So, like, that aggression and, like, that, like, disruptive impulse will, like, keep you alive. Also, the biggest part of your id is your pleasure principle, and your id's one desire is just to please you and to avoid pain and to gain immediate gratification. Um, So on the flip side, the ego is pretty rational, and it's a very, like, realistic part of your personality. Basically, the ego's function is to satisfy the id's urges. There's this struggle that the ego has to please your urges but also stay within the norms of society and then your super ego (laughs) 
develops between the ages of five and six, and it acts as a judge or censor for your actions. So this is like your the moral component of your personality. And also something that's really interesting is people are more likely to act on impulses if they have a low superego. So beyond the very basic Freudian theory of your unconscious, in actuality, so in more of a modern psychological and even societal standard, we put people into different categories based on personality traits, which we would define as stable characteristics that establish a person's identity throughout time. So along this scale that we use to measure personality, the most supported model would be the five-factor model, which we often call the big five which basically argues that all personalities can be described along these five dimensions. So you have openness, consciousness, extroversion, agreeability, and neuroticism. Everyone has some sort of degree of all of these different traits, which defines basically who you are and how you'll respond to different situations. Personality typing as a science in its most basic form <laughs> is a way of finding the most important and relevant ways that people differ and then grouping them accordingly. So probably the most well-known is the MBTI, which is created by uh, Isabel Briggs Meyer and Catherine Briggs, and it was largely inspired by psychologist Carl Jung. So from the perspective of Isabel Briggs Myers, personality typing allows people to better understand their own strengths and weaknesses, helping them to be the best version of themselves and to better understand and appreciate the strengths and weaknesses of others. So the MBTI test or Myers-Briggs test is made up of four opposite personality traits that are defined as the most important or relevant in today's society. And then it's followed by a series of questions to determine which categories you fit into. They have 12 different personality types that come out of your answer to all of these questions and the category that you fall into. And then that's basically used as a way to define the way that you'll react to different situations. I don't know why I really like personality tests is even if they're not necessarily accurate and able to identify every part of your personality, it really gives you a sense of identity and allows you to um, maybe understand things that you weren't too sure about yourself. Even like horoscopes, you read something, you read as like a Virgo or whatever, like it has <laughs> different traits and you kind of identify with the ones that feel true to you and then you reject the ones that don't. And even though they're all broad and not necessarily science-based, they're there's still a way to define yourself and like take what works for you and as like human beings we don't get called out enough i feel like personality test calls you out on things it's a really good way of assessing your weaknesses and like how to work on yourself for example a personality test told me that i need to be more open to people even though it's that's a really like vague thing to say i, I like considered it and i was like oh my gosh like i do need to be more open with people yeah. and like it allowed me to work on like my self-growth and stuff 
Right, and even if that's like a broad thing that can be applicable to most people, like it can be applicable to most people. I mean, you can use that in your life to, I don't know, be better. Exactly. So one of the big questions with personality is whether your personality comes from your genes or comes from outside factors that like influence you. So through all of life, you are constantly changing. Your settings changing, your thoughts are changing, your memories are changing. So how do these outside events reflect who you are as a person? Just to kind of geek out for a second, this is the cool thing about psychology as a science. Like, there's so many things that we don't know. <laughs> like, that's just so cool. It's so unknown. Yeah. Um, and on a bit of a side note, I recently have discovered kind of an interesting theory about identity. So we all have this sense of identity that kind of solidifies our place in the earth and how we're going to respond to different situations and our sense of self. And I think to some extent it gives us a sense of stability throughout our lives. We're this one unchanging way, the people that we love are this one unchanging way. But recently I've read some data on the way that our body in a physical sense changes so often. So for example, like your skin cells are replaced every 27 days, your colon cells are replaced every four days, and essentially every seven years your entire body is different almost every single cell in your body has been replaced by a new cell. So it's this common assumption that personality is stable, but the hard science doesn't actually support this assumption. So there's a couple of studies that have been done to assess the stability of traits. One of those was on the honesty of children. It was done in 1928. So it was looking for a consistency in personality, specifically if these young students would cheat or steal when they were given the chance. And basically what they found is that the response varied directly based on the situation and there was absolutely no consistency and then additionally there was the marshmallow test which I think a lot of people are aware of small children were put into these rooms and they were basically told you could have one marshmallow now or when the researcher comes back if you haven't eaten the marshmallow you can have two marshmallows and it was basically to test the amount of self-control that children had almost every single child ate the marshmallow. They couldn't delay their gratification. <laughs> um, and then when the researcher came back, the marshmallow was gone and the kid didn't get another marshmallow. And a lot of people assumed that these kids that couldn't delay gratification had this fixed trait of low self-control. So that was sort of the public interpretation of the marshmallow test. But the research supports that it's the situation, not the person or these inherent traits that determine how they respond. So in the marshmallow test, there was no significant correlation between the kids that couldn't delay gratification and future success. short because my feet are freezing (laughs) and I don't think Molly can feel her hands Um, but another thing that I feel super passionate along the lines of personality comes with sociopaths or psychopaths who we often define as people who are unable to feel empathy 
So there's this assumption that people that commit sociopathic crimes are often thought of as unredeemable because they're unable to emote like a normal person and understand the way that other people are feeling. But research shows that people can be taught how to feel empathy. So your amygdala activity, which is the amygdala is where you feel empathy, it can be triggered in the brains of people who have had underactive amygdalas their whole lives. There are ways to train your brain or to teach your brain how to feel empathy, how to understand other people. So these people that you think of as unredeemable or insane, that's not who they are at their core or something. Like it's not this set trait. It's, you know, maybe it's the way that they were wired, but it's not something that it is unchangeable, which I think is really cool. Wow. Like everyone's redeemable. That's really fascinating. Um, yeah, and I think like it can be destabilizing to think about, but it's also, yeah, it's also like kind of amazing. Like we don't have to fit into this box that no. we put ourselves into and like we don't have to put other people into other boxes. And I feel like your how you feel about yourself and like your perception of how other people see you can be so overpowering sometimes and it can be so worrying and be mm-hmm. like I have to live up to this expectation because my personality is not supposed to change. But that's kind of comforting that it does change and you're supposed to grow and you're supposed to have different thoughts and beliefs and Right. Like, wow. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly Molly wants to go home. (laughs) I'm just really cold. on personality (laughs) thank you guys so much for listening i hope you enjoyed um i'm ella torrance and i'm molly anders